All right. Welcome back to Catechized, the podcast where we discuss the historic reform confessions and catechisms, except when we don't, like today. I'm your host, Josh. Yeah. With me, as always, <laughs> is my co-host, St. John the Divine. I don't know if in, I, this is maybe just because it's been a while or because I'm stupid, but I genuinely don't remember if we acknowledge after the intro that this episode has nothing to do with the catechisms <laughs> or confessions uh, yeah, and the other footnotes and proof texts. Welcome back to Catechize, where we just neglect the catechism on a few <laughs> of our episodes. Well, that's that, nah, we don't neglect it. We're not like teaching in contradiction to... Uh, yeah, that's fair. But we uh, we don't talk about it at all. Yeah. But it's always good to have... I, th- I really enjoy having these like topical episodes kind of interspersed. I think they're fun. Yeah, they're fun. And, actually, and honestly, a lot of the feedback from people, I think... I get is from some of these like so many people have told me about the like not so many like you could count them probably on your hands but um, I can count them that must be a love number (laughs) Um, (laughs) but just simple old me (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um, a lot of people talked about the the one we did on the millennium views oh and um, we're just like I never heard about it that way and so it was it was pretty nice and so I you know, like to do these episodes and that'll be good. I think this is another one that will be helpful, hopefully, or, or intriguing for people. Yeah. At Um, least draw you in. Yeah. We're, we are talking about the cessation of the miraculous gifts of the spirit. I think we, so this is following cessation means the ending of the stopping of ceasing. Yeah. Good point. Uh, vocab number one, probably be (laughs) a bunch today. (laughs) Um, we're doing this because earlier in the previous season, season four, um, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and how uh, it is his work to apply the redemption accomplished by Christ to Christ's people, to those who are united to Christ. Um, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, active in salvation. His work is the work of uniting individuals to Christ, making them new, regenerating them, uh, and and then um, applying to them the benefits of their union with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about how, as we emphasize the Holy Spirit's work being this this profound work in redemption that is the the kind of reformed answer to maybe a pentecostal or charismatic person who talks about how the reformed don't value the holy spirit enough yeah well actually we want to clarify we really do he's so active in the saving of (laughs) god's people um and so to say that we don't think the holy spirit gives the miraculous gifts anymore and that we're not charismatic or whatever doesn't mean that we're like forgetting the holy spirit we just emphasize his work in what we think is maybe a little more um biblical (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say what what i what i feel like when i think of the work of the holy spirit generally my line of thinking is all right so god you know is the creator and orchestrator of all things Christ, God is, the Father, God. Sorry, yes, God the Father. Not, no, let's I, not stray into <laughs> any Trinitarian heresies. Yes, you're John. right. God the Father, insert all that I just said, um, <laughs> and then God the Son, Christ, is kind of the doer of these things. The uh, accomplisher. A, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Just hey. Josh, you're my vocab guy, so back me up here. Yeah. Um, but then, if we leave it at that, then Jesus has died on the cross and suffered the wrath of God for the punishment of sins, but those sins, you know, that means nothing for us. Those sins are not our sins until the Holy Spirit makes it effectual for us. And applies it to. And directly, yeah, and, and applies it to Christ us. Died. Yeah. So without the without the Holy Spirit as the last leg, and I, I, I believe we've talked about this, but basically <laughs> without the Holy Spirit as the third end of the bridge, it's still not a bridge. Right. So. And. Yeah. Not to not it's a language describing the work of the three persons of the Trinity, not to overly separate and distinguish yeah. the saving work of God. But oh yeah, it's not like God the Father was like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't do this uh, right, or right. something. Yeah. Um but yeah, so that's what we're doing today. Uh upcoming in this footnotes and proof text sub saga is uh the reliability of the New Testament and our Contra Rome episode two, which will be against the papacy. Whenever I think Contra Rome, that just like the Mortal Kombat theme plays in my head. I'm like, you got Mortal Kombat but not really. <laughs> yeah, the movie just came out, and I haven't seen it yet, and I don't recommend it because it looks violent. But I'll probably go see it anyway. <laughs> Attaboy. boy. <laughs> um, we were going to do an episode on 
Mormonism, but one of our listeners, Ian, suggested uh, a great idea, which is that we would have one, and it would inevitably be, inevitably be two Mormons on the show to discuss that, uh, and that takes more work to coordinate <laughs> that yeah. we both have time for in our lives right now. So we will do that one when we can hopefully have some Mormon guests for the time being that topic is tabled until we can make it as good as it could be I yeah guess. or um, do we know never mind i was gonna say do we know anyone who was like formerly a mormon because that uh, would also be an interesting conversation yeah. um i i do do you yeah oh um all right a mutual friend of ours parents were mormons mm. i'm gonna edit this out but i'll tell you really yeah nice yeah, that'd be kind of interesting, I actually. Know. All right. Anyways, back to the uh, regularly so yeah. scheduled broadcast. So, in the next, in the weeks after this one, um, I'm not sure which order we'll do it in, but against the papacy and the reliability of the New Testament, uh, will be coming out, and then we'll return to the Catechism uh, with uh, with season five, the fiery vengeance. Sure, fiery vengeance. Um, all that good stuff. But yeah, so today, as we look at the gifts, basically the idea is that while we believe um, that the Holy Spirit is very active and at work in his church in the application of Christ's redemption to God's people um, throughout the unfolding of time and, and history and whatever. And, and um, But we don't think one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is gives the miraculous gifts anymore, namely yeah. prophecy, tongues, and healing that yeah. Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen when he talks about gifts, 14. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of defending that idea, I guess. Why is it that we would say that we shouldn't expect these gifts to be normative, regular, or expected in the lives of Christians or in the life of the church today? Yeah. Why do we think that the Bible teaches that they should not be expected or yeah. viewed as, as normal? Yeah. Um, and so I guess that we're going we're gonna to break the conversation into a couple pieces, starting by looking at what are gifts or miracles or signs for across scripture. Then we'll look at some examples from Acts, uh, and then we'll defend this idea that the gifts will cease. Then we'll look at Jesus. Good idea, always. Yeah, never hurts. And, and then we'll <laughs> close with some, some qualifications about what we're not saying. Mm. So sweet. Let's dig on in. Yep. As you say, so shall it be. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> Your word is my command. Isn't that from something? <laughs> I don't know. It it sounds very uh, I Ben Hur. To I hear is to obey. That's another one. Yeah, something like that. Fantasy obedience. Maybe of gladiator. A loyal <laughs> servant boy. Um. Whatever. So John. <laughs> so what are what are gifts for, John? Um, it, John period new sentence john six thirty. <laughs> what are gifts for john <laughs> man nice good save john six thirty. um so in john 6 jesus has just fed the five thousand, and then he's teaching these hard sayings it's john 6 is a profound passage i think it it really is a rich place from which a lot of reformed convictions are derived and i think anyways we'll talk about it in other places like when we talk about the sacraments or maybe a contra rome against the eucharist and transubstantiation Ooh. because when jesus says eat my body in john 6 he's not talking about the eucharist the eucharistic sacrifice of the mass wherein the elements become his body and blood literally that's not what he's saying yeah and and people are like don't spoil a future episode josh yeah. So, anyways, in John 6, Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholics will say, see, the people are upset because they don't like the hard teaching that Je you have to eat Jesus. But what I would argue is that they don't like the teaching that Jesus says, you can't come to me unless the Father calls you. Uh, and that's why you don't believe. Mm. And in this conversation about why this group who has been following him and has eaten the food that he miraculously provided for them, why they are rejecting his hard saying... And in the conversation where these people, these disciples, um, walk away from Jesus, prior to their walking away, when Jesus starts teaching them difficult things, they all go, uh, John 6, 30, what sign do you do that we might see and believe? Basically, what sign do you do that we might see and believe? And every time I read that, I'm like, <sighs> he just 
fed 5,000 plus people <laughs> with one kid's lunch. What do you mean? What sign? Um, and so it's frustrating. There's so many moments of that, like that in John, like, like when Jesus is talking to the Jews and they're like, we are sons. We're the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved <laughs> to anybody <laughs> as if the, the slavery in Egypt never happened doesn't count <laughs> yeah and their exiles under various regimes including current roman rule aren't similar anyways um yeah they're dense but so are we anyways the idea the point being goodness gracious is that the question of the jews to jesus what sign do you do that we might see and believe reveals to us what the ancient israelite jewish people um understood gifts to be yeah. Gifts were signs, miracles were signs that pointed to um, and validated a prophet and his message. That's what they're for. And so when we look at gifts in the Bible, when we look at miracles in the Bible or signs in the Bible, all those words functionally refer to the same thing, miracles. Um, yeah. They are signs. Um, the miracles are called signs because they point to something. And uh, and the, the, the Jewish question, what sign do you do that we might see and believe confirms that this is how the Jews understood the signs of even Jesus and the apostles, that the, the miracles done by God in the people of God are done in order to ver- verify and validate the truth of the prophet and the prophet's message. Yeah. Um, and we see that throughout the Old Testament as well. I don't know if you wanted to give examples or if you have a word before I give examples or. Yeah, sure. I, I was, I think that is, I think that is, very common in the old testament the the signs and wonders aren't like we always kind of associate the old testament and israel we're just like yeah they just see miracles every day it's like <laughs> so it's on this page and you flip a page and it's right there yeah, again and, and, <laughs> and therefore every and every single israel experiences hundreds of miracles in his life but that does not seem to be the case in fact the miracles basically accompany specific things to like validate god so god yeah. Um, it's crazy just before you do, I think it's wild. Like we forget how much time passes in the old Testament narrative. Yeah. Like the book of judges, we read it like it was like, we read it like if it was like a a 20 year thing, but it's like every judge had like a six to 40 year period where they were in charge. And then there was a gap before the, yeah. And so it's like this, the judges era alone is long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and we, yeah. So like this idea of miracles being commonplace, we often forget how much time passes in the old Testament narratives. Yeah. And you'll have like 10 Kings pass and then you'll get a miracle or something like that. Like, or the other thing is so much of the text is taken up with the miraculous times. Like Exodus discusses God's miraculous saving of his people. Right. Um, But one thing that we see is that the, the point of the saving is not, just like, just so that I can kind of flex on Pharaoh, although that obviously does happen. Uh-huh. But the point is, um, God is revealing that he is the one true God. He's yeah. validating um, that he alone should be worshipped. And so he's doing these um, he's doing these signs and saving them for a specific reason. He? God. Through? Moses. Okay. Um, so Moses' miracles. Yeah. Okay. Um, or similarly, I think Elijah... And Elisha are a yeah. classic example because they have so many miracles surrounding them. But like, even if you think about, um, yeah, similar like the Mount uh, Mount Carmel, yeah, where fire comes down from heaven and there's yeah, wild, and then miraculous rain ends the drought that's been going on for a while. Yeah, just lots of. Even, oh, good. Sorry, I was like, even if you go back to before the plagues hit Egypt. Moses does those other signs with the leprous hand and the the and staff, the staff. To snake yeah. and the blood, the little the little sample of water to blood. Yeah, um, like that. God gives. I guess that's uh, that's the 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 mimic the guys from Pharaoh's people who try who try to mimic it. They try to, anyways. Yeah, um, <laughs> Prince of Egypt. Yeah, great movie. But <laughs> well, they do that in the Bible too. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, Prince of Egypt. But I always, movie. I'm always like, is it true? Because it was we, in Prince of Egypt. We've learned yeah. a lot of assumptions that are wrong from the Prince of Egypt. Like, there's no way that Moses' mom putting Moses in the river 
is like that scene where she just puts him in a basket and kicks him downstream is like best of luck baby in a basket <laughs> and there's like hippos and crocodiles and boat oars that are like tossing him around and yeah <laughs> like she definitely just went near where the women were in a calm part and pushed the basket towards them like that's 100 percent what happened yeah or she, similarly the like i know we're tangenting hard here but similarly like the uh the passover or no i was gonna say the like Moses and Ramses are both like charioting around Egypt together, like you know, like heirs to the throne, all the same. I I don't think is legitimately well, the situation. At least this is what Doctor Red has told me. That's more likely than um, than Moses's mom just sending the basket down with like a. I think neither is very bread. likely. Sure, that's yeah. yeah. I don't. I agree, but yeah. It, but if anyways, we're ranking them, going back to the point, yeah. <laughs> Um, Moses is given signs to be like, hey, Pharaoh, God's going to let my people go. And I'm going to do this sign to show that I have authority so that you take me seriously and do the request. Mm. Um, let, let the people go to worship the Lord. Here's a sign. I have authority. And Pharaoh's like, no. And then, like you were saying, God then in the plagues shows that he's the one true God through these miraculous plagues that he sends mm-hmm. through Moses. Um, more uh, more or less which are like attacks against uh, egyptian deities each one a demonstration and a a validation of moses as prophet and his the authority of his command to let israel go Mm -hmm. um god is better than this god oh you're still not going to listen he's better than this false god and so on um and and that that same thing is demonstrated with elijah on carmel i i think that i mean the at the most basic point here is that the miracles serve a specific purpose in God's yeah. plan. It's yeah. not their miracles are not just like a willy nilly little like, like let's have you know God just like let's have fun since you're since you're a Christian or since you're part of the people of Israel. Here's just a pointless miracle. Like right. they always serve a purpose in valid you know validating God's prophets or right. His apostles, even if we move into the New Testament. Right, and and the, and that does continue that expectation with Jesus being challenged to do signs and the apostles being given uh, and the earliest disciples being given miraculous signs as the gospel goes out mm-hmm. confirms the function. Right, these gifts are given to validate the message, whether it be the Old Testament prophetic message or the New Testament gospel. The the miracles, the gifts are signs that point to the truth of the the preacher and the word preached, mm-hmm. and and to go back again to the idea of timing, like miracles aren't all the time. We see influxes of miraculous gifts at moments where God is acting and revealing. God gives the law when he has freed Israel from Egypt and he does miracles in that moment. Um, God, God gives the, God sends the prophets to, to minister to Israel um, on their way to exile or, or during exile. Yeah. And, um, in that moment, again, where God sends his prophets to Israel, there is, uh, God is intervening with the prophets. He's acting in history by punishing Israel with exile. And the miraculous gifts, again, accompany that moment in, in history. Yeah. Similarly, God sends his son. He comes and he he accomplishes redemption in the work of his son. And he reveals himself in the the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the apostles. And so the signs and miracles that Jesus and the apostles do, there's, there's this pattern where God's very particular intervention into history, a history in which he is always upholding and sustaining and guiding. He, he, in moments he acts specifically. And those moments are moments where we have acts of redemption, moments of revelation and the miracles that confirm those things. Uh, and so we should expect the New Testament apostolic miraculous gifts to function the same way that the prophetic miracles had in the past, especially because they accompany another moment of God's redemptive work like the other ones did. So timing and function of miracles points toward the fact that gifts serve a purpose. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. Sounds good. So in the book of Acts, we see uh, these gifts serve this purpose. Yeah. All throughout, all throughout Acts, we see that that happen. Acts, Acts is sort of as a book is sort of a you know a pretty basically Acts and First Corinthians are like the central hubs of this discussion, and so 
um, with some uh, not like exclusively, but like Axe is very central for for the um, pretty predominantly at least. Yeah, yeah. For this talk about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of these things. So yeah, we want to especially talk about Acts for a little while. I think. Yeah. So um, basically, there's important i guess i don't know moments <laughs> in acts that are relevant <laughs> to to the conversation and we see again the kind of accompanying of gospel and miracle validating it in mm. acts in the beginning of acts it's in acts one i believe the kind of what many see is the the that maybe thesis sentence of acts is that um, you'll preach the gospel to judea to uh, samaria and to the ends of the earth and yes. we see following uh we see in acts the gospel going out from in it first comes to judea and then it goes to samaria and to the ends of the earth and every time the gospel breaks into a new community we that's where we see the gifts being given particularly the gift of tongues the gift of tongues is a good reference because that it's the gift that we see validating the gospel but it's also the gift that is most contended in in the do gifts happen or do they not yeah debate um and so in uh, in Acts two at Pentecost, when the gospel comes and the Holy Spirit comes for the first time to God's people, the Jews, we have the gift of tongues. Uh, and then later, when uh, the gospel goes out to the Samaritans, we see the the gift of tongues again being given. It, the Holy Spirit comes, and there's like a little bit less clarity. Um, yeah, that the tongues is like referred to, but not explicitly mentioned there. Uh, mm-hmm. But then later in Acts, we see the gospel go to the Gentiles for the first time and the, the Holy Spirit comes and they speak in tongues. And then finally, we see the, the, Holy, the gospel go to the disciples of John the Baptist who had not, been, who, who had not heard the, the full and final gospel um, post the death and resurrection of Christ. And it comes to them and they hear it preached, believe, and then um, they're baptized into Christ and they yeah. receive the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues as well. And so we see gifts throughout the book of Acts as the gospel goes from Judea through Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as it goes and as people believe, um, the to- the gift of tongues accompanies that. And, and the gifts serve kind of a, a two purposes here. The, the, the apostles and the disciples do miracles which validate the truth of the gospel. And then when the other peoples believe their speaking of tongues is confirmation. It's a twofold confirmation that yeah. when the Samaritans and the Gentiles and the disciples of John the Baptist speak tongues, it's a validation to the Christians that the gospel is for these people as well. Yeah. And it's a validation to those people that the gospel is true and the Holy spirit has saved them as well. Yeah. You can, you know, if you can kind of see it this way, the the um, Jews who have seen Christ die and raise from the dead, they don't have necessarily in their minds at this point a like, or at least a fully developed like gospel for the entire world of all people. And so, you know, it starts with to the with the Jews, and so they're like, yeah, uh, they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, and so the Jews know that. All right, we can, you know, we ha- there's something going on here. The Holy Spirit is blessing the one that got Jesus promised has come to us. Yes, has has come to um, the Jews, and so it's like great. Well, then they go to Samaria and they're preaching the gospel there again in obedience. They don't yeah. know what the gospel going to all nations will look like, but yeah. Jesus said to, and so they're like, we and don't so know. it's it's kind of like do is does this or should we be doing this? Does this work? And boom, validation. They're speaking in tongues just like the Jews did. And so it's like, all right, this, you know, works with the Jews and the Samaritans. Then it goes even further to um, the Gentiles themselves who start similarly speaking in tongues. And then that kind of lets the apostles and Christians know like, oh, okay. So it's not just Jews and Samaritans. This is, this is for anyone. Um, and yeah, and I think even the John the Baptist disciples part is also like, it's even for these people who weren't following Christ right. at the time. Yeah. So it's kind of, the idea is not, well, okay. We often make Acts this like prescriptive book 
where it's like if it happened to the early church, it must by default happen to us. Right. The 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 ideal church is the one that looks as much like the church in Acts as possible. Yeah. But but what we're missing is that Acts is part of and I'll I'll use the term and then I explain it. Acts is part of redemptive history. And so all the whole Bible is redemptive history basically, you know, from Adam to um, through Abraham, Moses, David, all the way through to Jesus. And then we have this idea that, all right, at Jesus, it stops and now we're in the common era. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in actuality, the book of Acts is also describing things that are not just, that are part of this redemptive history. It's part of the coming of the Holy Spirit and his spread to all people. Um, And so, well, to all believers. And so, um, so we we it's important that we don't just see like oh they spoke in tongues in acts therefore we're good like <laughs> it's not the book of acts is is describing what has happened it yeah. is not prescribing what happens to every church right good so yeah and and in that description we see the 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 gift of tongues and the gift of of healing and prophecy and so on we see those miraculous gifts functioning exactly like we should expect them to in light of how miraculous gifts have functioned throughout the rest of scripture yeah. where they confirm and validate and verify and point to a thing, uh, the, the prophet and the message. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that's the purpose. That's the thing that they're for. What's a thing that they're not for John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, so, so in this act Subtle. section, John has, uh, well, well, we have, we have two points that we want to make. One is a misconception that often is made about tongues um, another is a hot take from me. Yeah. All right. So the main, the thing that I, I, that specifically I wanted to talk about related to Acts is you'll often hear a very contemporary or contemporary charismatic churches um, or Pentecostal churches talking about this like second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And generally the thought is like, all right, so you're baptized, you know, you, you convert to Christianity, you are baptized and that's your first baptism. But then the Holy Spirit descends on you and you speak in tongues, just like the people in, um, or the apostles and these people in the book of Acts do. And so these very charismatic churches often have the view that basically you're, you know, at best you're only halfway there or you're not there at all if you have not had this second baptism where you're speaking in tongues. And what me and Josh are saying is that this is just a complete incorrect reading of the book of Acts. And, and the rest of the New Testament where yeah. Paul says there is one baptism. <laughs> um, yes. And the, the, the water baptism is the sign and seal of the, of the Holy Spirit baptism. And so there's not a good distinction. There's not a just or... There's not a just or justifiable distinction between baptism and the, the water baptism that is the yeah. sign that points to it, which we'll get into when we get to the, the to sacraments yeah, later. That'll, that's a ways down the road to get into greater detail. But yeah, exactly. Basically, the, you know, like we've been saying, the book of Acts is describing how the, how the gospel went out from the Jews to the Samaritans and then eventually to the Gentiles. And the speaking in tongues is an affirmation, but it's you know, to these different groups and to the Christians that the gospel is going out, but it is not expected to be the requirement for Christians and um, in all ages or something like that. Like, and so it's a huge jump to, to say, to see the, see this in acts and go, all right, all Christians have to be this way. And it contradicts, like Josh was saying, other passages of scripture. And so I think it is important to realize when you're baptized, you receive the Holy spirit. Yeah. Um, and with, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, and this this belief that you that you either must or ought to have a second baptism, and that there is some sort of distinction between conversion, which uh, is marked by your actual baptism, and when you receive the Holy Spirit. Best case scenario creates first class and second class Christians. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it makes tongues necessary for true salvation and so if you don't have tongues then you aren't you aren't a christian yeah and so there's a there's a bunch of and inaccurate condemnations i guess i was gonna say even if you do believe that tongues still exist you know paul in first corinthians says that different people have different gifts and so you're you're then requiring all people to be 
tongue speakers. Right. So that yeah, as if yeah, and Paul very yeah, Paul very explicitly says, not everyone has everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even when they were around, even when whatever. So yeah, so, yeah. not and, a great view. Not but great Josh, view. give us your uh, so here's my your hot take. Here's my hot take. Hot take was that well, I don't know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> the idea is that people who think tongues and the other miraculous gifts are normative are the are the validation of the verification that you have received the Holy Spirit. And so that you need to have it in order to know that the Holy Spirit has descended upon you, it, it lives inside of you or whatever, as we've talked, are, are mishandling the passages regarding the Holy Spirit and baptism and the sacraments and the gifts all together <laughs> uh, in a really contradictory way. But I think the Bible, like one another case against that it, the, is that the Bible does tell us. The Bible does tell us what is normative. And I think, and my argument, my hot take is that good works replace miracles as, as the as normative in the church for the the evidence of faith and the validation of the gospel yeah. um, if you look in the new testament the good works uh like james talks about how our our um we are not justified by faith alone and he's not saying your justification before god but your justification before god is vindicated by your good works how do you know you're saved because you do good works. Those good works don't save you, but they're the necessary fruit of one who is justified. Yeah. Like Abraham, who is justified by faith, vindicates that faith by the being willing to sacrifice his son. Uh, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, after that great, for it is by grace you have been saved, uh, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, um, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and so on. He goes, to, uh, goes on to say, you are saved for good works that have been prepared beforehand. Um, you, you've been saved to do good works. Uh, in in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus says, "This is how um, they will know that you're my disciples, that you're my people, that you're the love you have one for another." And then in, in John seventeen twenty one, Jesus talks about how the unity of the church, the unity of Christians, is a testimony of the truth that God the Father sent Christ into the world. Yeah. And so all throughout the New Testament, it is not miraculous gifts that we are promised will validate our faith it is not good works that that show to or it's sorry it's not miracles that show to the world the truth of the gospel but the the fruit of the spirit (laughs) is the peace patience kindness it's the changed lives of christians in the church And, and those changed lives the good works done by individuals in the church both our confirmation to those people that they belong to christ and also a demonstration to the world as jesus says in john that uh that that christ is sent from the father um uh, the the church being new creation um is the confirmation of the truth of the gospel yeah uh and so it is our good works that validate and verify the our own conversion and the truth of the gospel not miracles yeah and i think i you know i before we move on to this next section um I think it's important, you know, I can sort of foresee someone saying like, well, wouldn't it be more effective if God used miracles? Like, wouldn't he, like, why wouldn't he use miracles? Like, surely he can. And of course, surely he could. I think, I think a a point on that though, is like, if you look at the Old Testament, you have miracles and you you have a decent amount of miracles, at least at specific points. And still just raging unbelief. Like God does all these miracles to get, um, the Israelites out of Egypt and, you know, like three weeks pass and they're already, you know, complaining against God. And then they make the golden calf and they're just turning away from God very quickly after the miracle. So it's not like these signs are the guarantee right. of, you know, the oh, gen- this works. <laughs> the generation yeah. that saw the plagues and literally walked through the parted Red Sea, um, didn't go into the promised land because they didn't have faith. Yeah. And also I think maybe a, an interesting point is, one of the most consistent cries against Christians is their hypocrisy. Um, and while everyone is a hypocrite, uh, if people's complaint is that the church, if, if a fair complaint is that we do not practice as we preach, think of the power of, of if we did, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not exactly. that, not, not that every Christian sucks at being a Christian, but yeah, there's always ways to improve. But it, yeah, if we saw widespread general improvement that would definitely not hurt <laughs> right and it would yeah show the world who jesus is. be very helpful yeah <laughs> all right moving on for the sake of time a biblical defense of the idea, the idea that gifts cease the idea that gifts cease and and this comes from first corinthians 13 
um, particularly eight, Paul's among talking other about, places. Right? Yeah, Paul's talking about love. Um, obviously, it's famous for that, but it's it's part of this gifts discussion. Yeah, and in First Corinthians thirteen eight, Paul writes, "Love never ends." As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That's three, uh, 13, 8 through 10, technically. Yeah. Um, and so Paul does tell us that miracles, that prophecy uh, and tongues will stop. Yeah. That there, there is going to be a point. And so the question is, do we have any reason to know when that is when is this the perfect comes um uh, yeah did did you have any well i was actually i was gonna kind of ask a question related to this text um Uh, yeah yeah so basically one um before before you get all the way into it because i'm sure you'll want to (laughs) respond to it but um basically i believe it was wayne grudem who holds to a continuationist view which is basically that the gifts continue Uh he points to this passage and he says a lot oftentimes people refer to this passage as an argument that the that the gifts of prophecy and tongues have ceased but then he points he says all right it talks about prophecy ceasing tongue ceasing and knowledge ceasing and um and so he makes the argument basically like well no uh you know no no christian thinks that when jesus comes prophecy tongues and knowledge all cease like you stop knowing and so he uses this to argue that all of these things end at uh, the second coming. Um, that's his take on the passage. So sure. I was just going to throw that out there so you could yeah. respond to it all in one yeah. fell swoop. I think, <laughs> Wayne Grudem, uh, <laughs> I think that that's like a, a kind of comically incoherent stance. Not that if you find it compelling, you're, you're dumb or whatever, because yeah. I don't think that at all. But take a minute to like piece apart what that logically means. Um so I guess logically that would mean that when Christ comes a second time and prophecy and tongues stop, then we all have no knowledge anymore. If knowledge in this context means general knowledge, if it, if yeah, it means just like intellectual if it means ascent, inte- intellectual ascent and capacity, is he really claiming that when Jesus comes, our minds will be mush <laughs> like that? The implications of that are that when Christ returns, knowledge won't exist. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think, which is logically wild. That yeah. means that the knowledge is clearly referring to a specific type of knowledge. Mm. And I think when we look at the text, um, Paul is talking about these these gifts are all, these things that are cease in that in the verse eight and nine and ten, um, and the context of the chapter thirteen and twelve and fourteen on either side are they're talking about things that are functions of the prophetic office, and so prophecy will stop. Tongues, which is a function of a prophetic, it's associated with prophetic ministry, will stop, as will prophetic knowledge. Prophetic knowledge will stop as well. Mm. And and so um, I think the text indicates that this is a, a unique kind of knowledge. Um, and I yeah. think logically, we must believe it to be a different kind of knowledge because no one thinks that when Jesus returns, we're just going to be mindless drones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that, that would be my response. No, Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that does make sense. It's helpful. Cool. So then to answer the question in a oversimplified way of does the Bible tell us when this end is, I think the Bible does. Um, and so <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> for us, <laughs> the, the place where I think the Bible talks about this time when prophecy when tongues will cease is maybe the most complicated prophecy in all of scripture. <laughs> it's Daniel 9, dramatically debated by everybody. Yeah. Um, there's actually another podcast called The Reformed Brotherhood who I found out from a meme account <laughs> also <laughs> also refers to this passage. I listened to the episode and and it's good. So if, if you want someone else to touch on this, they do a pretty good job as well. It's, I don't remember what episode, Reformed Brotherhood. Anyways, uh, the idea is that, so Paul tells us that tongues will cease. And I think Daniel 9 indicates as to when that will be. Let me read the passage and then tell you the conclusions without giving you much of the work because that would take I'd be laborious. Full disclosure, this is the second time we're recording this episode because last time I tried to work through the prophecy of Daniel <laughs> 9 and it turned into a nightmare of confusion. <laughs> so, I like passed out at the microphone and started just drooling. Yeah. yeah. So um, Daniel 9, 24 and following. Uh, 70 weeks, this is Gabriel talking to um, Gabriel talking to Daniel. 
70 weeks are decreed about your people and about your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting Mm. righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. And now uh, that was verse 24 and verse 25 and following Gabriel breaks apart those seven, 70 weeks. He says 70 weeks are going to are decreed for this stuff to happen. This is the breakdown of those 70 weeks. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, often understood to be Cyrus's decree for the Jews to return home, yeah. to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, for 62 weeks, it, sh- uh, it shall be built again with squares and moat, uh, but in a troubled time. Um, often thought about the rebuilt temple, the period of the, of the second temple. Yeah. Um, and then... After that, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the prince and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, a lot of people see that prince being cut off as um, the cutting off of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of takes on it, but whatever. Um, yeah. And then the, the prince of the one who is to come who shall destroy the city and the sanctuary are referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the city and the sanctuary. Uh, and its ends shall come with a flood, and the ends that there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate the decree uh, until the decreed end it's poured out on the desolator. Mm. Now, we're not going to dig into that much, but there's a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament uh, and in the New that refer at least in some part to the destruction of the temple which happened in about 70 AD happened in 70 AD and in this passage in this prophecy from Daniel we have associated with the destruction of the temple which is referred to as both the making an end of sacrifice no more sacrifices after the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city and the sanctuary destruction of the temple that event is associated with the sealing of prophecy and vision. And so there's this idea that at that time, there's, it's, a, it's a dramatic moment in the history of redemptive history is the destruction of the temple. It is the closing of the era of Israel hmm. um, and, the, uh, and the final, like, yeah, it's the, the closing of that era and the church continues beyond it. Um, and Sort uh, of like... Uh sort of like in Indiana Jones where they get out of the temple or in the, you know, in the first movie where they get out with the golden <laughs> idol and then the stone rolls behind them and kind of blocks the door. Yeah. Basically like you can't go back in there, but we got the golden idol now. So <laughs> sure. If that helps you. Okay. That probably doesn't help, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that was just what came to mind. I'm glad it makes sense, but I don't want to explain it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, the temple being destroyed is this closing of the the israel era um israel israel as a nation um is and and this is often understood as jesus prophecy on the mount of of olives in in the olivet discourse where he talks about in the end i'm going to come in judgment and i'm going to basically talks about destroying the temple and he says um and many of you this will happen before many of you pass away and so for jesus to be a true prophet that prophecy has to be fulfilled before in the lifetime of the people Jesus was teaching. Mm. Um, and yeah. so there's a very, uh, there's a, there's a lot of theology and interpretation of other passages, the Olivet Discourse, Daniel 9 and others, um, talking about how there is a sense in which people understood the destruction of the temple as Jesus' return in judgment of the nation Israel and the closing of the temple system for finally. Yeah. Um, and with that coming in judgment, not an actual physical return, but that coming in judgment against Israel, that's when prophecy and vision are sealed. And so, yeah, um, yeah, that that I think is the biblical defense of when the the the, the fullness comes. Yeah. So kind of so because the fullness coming is the the church's the the fullness of yeah that yeah. era. So connecting that sort of what did you say the date was at sixty nine seventy eighty seventy eighty okay. Um, so, so then, okay, basically connecting it in. All right. So in first Corinthians, we have a lot of discussion of prophetic gifts and, um, what they're for speaking in tongues, what they're for, stuff like that. I think it's helpful to realize that first Corinthians is written before this happens. 
Yes. And so he's, yeah, he's basically describing something that is still applicable when he's writing it. Right. Um, do you do you have offhand? Do you recall when First Corinthians was written? I think roughly it, it's like fifty sixties. Okay, I think it's sixties. Um, sorry, but there's but like in the similar vein, a lot of people will be like, "Well, John was almost certainly written after that, and he's a prophet." And I would say, "Yeah, he probably was written after the destruction of the temple, but he was an apostle, and his apostolic ministry and gifts preceded the destruction of the temple." Yeah. So it's not there's not any new. But John is a prophet and had the yeah. apostolic gifts of prophecy and other things prior to the temple being destroyed. And so it's, it's yeah. it's, yeah, he's not a new prophet post this. He's a prophet whose ministry continues after it. Yeah. It's not like the temple drops and like suddenly all, uh, all power is turned off. Yeah. <laughs> Crap. I can't do it anymore. Right. Like, um, yeah. So I guess kind of to follow up on that with some of my own thoughts. I think one, um, so I guess for a while, this was one of the areas of, not all Reformed Christians are cessationists. Not all Reformed Christians believe the gifts have ceased, but it's kind of a large, I guess a majority generally hold to that. And so when I became Reformed, I had trouble with this because I was like, like why, you know, Paul says quite a lot on it in First Corinthians, especially, what do I do with that? Like, the Bible talks about it a lot. It's it's hard for me just to say, well, they're done. Um, but but so anyway, I basically I decided to I did a paper on it because I was like, this will help me learn. Yeah, paper papers are a great way to well, if you're in school <laughs> to to ans- find answers to the questions that you have. It's, yeah, it's like a two birds one stone thing. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna write this thing and I'm gonna become smarter. Yeah. Who'd have thought? But anyway, so I wrote it on. Uh, I wrote it on the gift specifically of prophecy, but when you read the Bible, speaking in tongues is generally either associated with prophetic gifts or with like, like translating basically, like sure. trans speaking the gospel in a language that it had not been in before right. to a people who wouldn't have heard it or wouldn't be hearing it if you didn't speak it in their tongue in yeah. their language miraculously. And so, prophecy and speaking in tongues are have a lot of overlap. Um, but anyway, what? Basically, what I realized from writing this paper is that if you if you believe that prophecy is actual revelation from God, like it is everywhere else in the Bible, the whole Old Testament, a prophet is someone who reveals something from God. He's not just like a, he's like a smart guy who like... <laughs> you know, he's like a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you believe that prophecy is revelation from God, then it's very hard to actually hold to the continuation of that gift because we then you're saying all right we have the the bible we have the word of god that is said to be complete you know perfect and holy you know right what's i can't i'm blanking on the timothy passage but the all scriptures god breathed profitable for profitable for um it's profitable (laughs) (laughs) um but but anyway so if you if you believe that the bible is sufficient for revealing the entire intended revelation of God to us and that more prophecy is no longer needed, then it's very hard to hold that prophecy. These gifts still exist. Right. Because you're basically saying that like, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but my own right. revelation, because I, basically yeah, like <laughs> I'm a prophet and God revealed this to me. Yeah. And it's like, well, all right, does it, uh, can I give you John Owen quote? The Hit John, me John Owen quote. The John Owen, if our pri- favorite pri- quote ever. <laughs> private revelations. If private, if a private revelation agrees with scripture, it is pointless. If it uh, disagrees with scripture, it is evil or something like that. Yeah, basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, you can't you can't have these prophecies being. You can't say this prophecy is a divine revelation from God without kind of contradicting or adding to scripture. Right. Um, and so. The only way around that is then to say, well, prophecy isn't a revelation from God. Or it's like sort of like a... A lesser... Yeah, God giving you kind of a hint or something like that. But then it becomes kind of pointless. Right. Like, why... What is the purpose of this prophecy? Why don't I just turn to what I know to be the infallible true word of God, right. scripture? Um, Gaff... Uh, Richard... I almost called him Dick Gaffin because that's what <laughs> all, you're everyone who knows him <laughs> calls him, but I don't know him. Richard Gaffin, 
he um, he writes a ton about this, and I think I recommended this book in a previous episode, but uh, pers- perspe- Perspectives on Pentecost, he writes about, and one of the things he says is like, if if this private revelation, if prophecy now still works, it really compromises scripture because now not only do you have like additions to scripture, but you have a very modern contemporary addition to scripture that's beyond testing because, you know, if I say, Josh, I have a vision that you're going to become a famous pastor in, or I've received a prophecy that you're going to be a famous pastor in Detroit. <laughs> Where can you, there's no way you can refute me. Yeah. Um, and how many people have uh, have disobediently not married the person they were prophetically told to marry? <laughs> God told me I should be with you. Yeah. <laughs> so it just doesn't work. And so I think at, at the very least with the gift of prophecy, it doesn't hold up. And yeah. I think a lot of the exact same arguments apply when it comes to... To tongues. Speaking in tongues. Yeah. And there's, there's no New Testament distinction between types of prophecy. Like the same standards of prophecy that were true from the... Old Testament prophets through Jesus and the apostles would be applied necessarily to any other gift of prophecy. And so if you're saying, well, it's different, then it's not prophecy. Yeah, exactly. And last thing I'll say, and because I know I'm just bedraggling us here. We, we do got to move on. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I'll say is I think related to what you were saying about Daniel and the fall of the temple is that in the later books of the, in the books in the, in the New Testament that we know are written later, we have significantly and almost entire just disappearance of discussion of these spiritual gifts yeah you look at the pastoral epistles of paul which are everyone considers his you know latest works he does the things he's encouraging the church to do are related to like the good works and yeah the the good works that you were saying he doesn't mention spiritual gifts pretty like i don't think at all at least these miraculous spiritual gifts pretty much at all yeah so i think that's kind of it one would would expect them to be there if a pastor must be these things and you must speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit, yeah. <laughs> you would hope that your whole spirit, your spirit, you would hope that your pastor has the Holy Spirit. So yeah. he, if, if he, if it was necessary, he would have said it there. Yeah. One would think, but I digress. So, let's, let's roll. Quick Jesus moment. Um, <laughs> this idea is that the, like coherent with this idea that gifts and prophecy ceases is the idea that Christ is the fullness of the revelation of God, John. Yeah. And John 1 says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in verse verse 18, he says, um, no one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And mm. then um, the author of Hebrews, in the opening verses of Hebrews says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And the next chapter and a half are about the supremacy and finality of Christ. And so there is a, a very real sense that prophecy and the gifts that accompany it close with Christ and his apostles, yeah. um, who are the direct carer, carriers of his ministry into the world. And and when the thing that they were sent to do, the gospel in breaking into from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world, to the Gentiles is done. And when prophecy is closed, the fullness of revelation has come in Christ and in the writings and words that are about him, which are preserved in the lives of the apostles. And then after they die and apostles and the disciples, because like Stephen could, had those gifts when he was an apostle. Yeah. Um, uh, it's preserved in their writings. And so the fullness of revelation is Christ. Yeah. And I think this is sort of, I guess maybe my hot take. I don't think it's that hot, but it's, it's a little warm. My warm take um, is that these... I'm going to spit out your lukewarm take. <laughs> nice. Nice little uh, revelation reference. But um, my, my sort of hot take is that these gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues, all of these are the communication of God's revelation to people before the the word of God is fully formed in scripture. Right. And so when you know when this church does not even have the you know the gospels yet, God is speaking to them through prophecy. And so these these prophets are true like truly speaking the revelation of God, but they're n- they're not necessary permanently because we get 
the scriptures yeah. which teach us because there's everything. nothing found in their teaching that we do not have in correct uh in in the scriptures yeah and so that's that's my take cool i yeah. love it now closing qualifications this is what we don't mean when we say the gifts have stopped <laughs> we do not mean no reformed person means no real christian <laughs> means but we do not mean when we say the gifts have ceased that God can't and doesn't do miracles now. Yeah. We don't mean that God doesn't heal. We don't mean that God doesn't um, give tongues or other things in different moments in history. Um, I've heard stories that I have no reason to doubt that Cohen, that like fit in with the biblical picture of gifts uh, that have happened, but they're not normative. So, like, for example, I know of a missionary who basically was challenged by a witch doctor in, like, the depths of the Philippines um, to a duel to the death. And the missionary sat a chair down in the middle of this fighting ring. Uh, and the witch doctor challenged him. He was, like, yelling at him. He's like, get up and fight. And he's like, my God fights my battles for me. And the witch doctor just dropped dead. <laughs> no reason Damn. to doubt that that's not true. Um, that's not technically a gift, but that's a miraculous thing in a... In a, uh, a in a unique circumstance wherein the gospel was going to a new people. Um, similarly, pe- God miraculously heals people all the time. I know more than one person who had a family member who had cancer all over. Um, and the family prayed and prayed and prayed. Uh, and at one point, those people went back to the doctor and the cancer was just gone. And the doctor was like, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no clue. Um, and other, like there's lesser instances of miraculous healing. Also, those things are not promised as normative. Like I know also several people and plenty of people who know other people who have died from cancer and it, despite their prayers. Um, God, who is the good healer, um, heals in his time. And, and so we, we can't like, the point being is that, well, one last example. Um, I know a family from India who moved to the States and was at a, went to a church in Georgia for some reason, not Christians at the time. And then someone got up and was like, I have something to say. And they spoke the gospel in the specific Indian dialect of this family. Yeah. Um, and they b- heard the gospel and believed. And so, which is also kind of a, a, I think a reminder that tongues in the new Testament, as we've mentioned is, is human language for the preaching of the gospel to people who would yeah. hear it otherwise. Not like but, the, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <Rabbit> trail. <laughs> Not um, the like my private prayer language. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's whatever. Um, but God can and does do miraculous things, but there aren't healers. There aren't prophets and there aren't tongue speakers. There aren't yeah. people who like Peter can go around and say, get up and walk. Your eyes are opened and things like that. There aren't um, tongue speakers who just speak and the gospel is proclaimed in, in other languages. And there aren't prophets who give new revelation. Those offices have ceased. God is God. He can do what he wants. Any theology that says otherwise is foolish. Um, but we, the Bible, I believe, teaches that the miraculous gifts which are embodied in offices of prophet, healer, like a person who can do those things, like praying for healing and having God heal that person is not the gift of miracle of not the gift of healing. Healing is a guy who can just touch a person and they're healed. Yeah. Those gifts have ceased. Why full circle? Because the, the purpose that they existed for has been accomplished. Yeah. The gospel that they existed to validate and verify has gone from Judea into the Gentile worlds. And now there are, there is other there. The gospel is spreading, um, following the closing of vision and profit in new ways. Yeah. I think we often just, I always sort of come back to this with with things like this. Oftentimes the, like we just want to have that sort of role or that ability of our own. We want to have prophets and people who speak in tongues and healers and stuff like that. And maybe it's for good motives, but I think it's more important to be like, God heals when he wants. God will, you know, use us maybe to speak in a different language at some rare time if he wants, but that's not like my special ability or something like that. I I think that's one of the sad things about um, many charismatic, not not all, many charismatics, all hyper charismatics uh, and many, um, yeah, many charismatics and all hyper charismatics, people who are over the top unbiblical in their gifts in any sense um, is that they, 
they are seeking the gifts, not the giver. They're they're praising their the miracles, not the the, the god of yeah. the miracles. And so they're missing the whole point. They're seeking the signs, not the things, not the gospel or the savior that the signs signify. Um, yeah, and that is tragic. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, that's, Shall we close? that's pretty much all I got. Rock so. on. Uh, cool. Well, we'll come at you next week with another footnotes and proof text, and then another one after that, and then we'll probably have like a week break, and then we'll hit you up with season five on the catechism. Um, thanks for tuning in. Follow us on... Ooh, hiccups. Help. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and Twitter uh, at catechizepod. Send us an email with questions and things. Hopefully, or presumably this episode will bring many um to catechize at gmail.com there could be no follow-up questions to this give episode. us give us any amount of stars on and on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on subscribe please that helps i guess um leave comments and reviews share with a friend if you think this would be good for them to and helpful for them um there's been we've been getting we've got good feedback which is is really encouraging so we're, we we want this to exist to help the church and so we'll keep doing it as long as it does yeah so yeah, cool. Catechize your Keep kids. Coming. We'll see you right, next see week. Ya.